Geek Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. My life, it seems, will never stop Berserker. You will die and I will not Berserker. Berserker. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. And this week, uh, I finally found a way to work the song from Clerks into the show. That uh, it's a stretch and a reach, but I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this week we were talking about the comic Berserker from Boom Studios, written by Matt Kitt and Keanu Reeves, based on an idea from the mind of Keanu Reeves with art by Ron Garney. It's a comic that's been making a lot of waves. Uh, it is one of the very few comics to ever have a Hall H panel, based, of course, The Power of Keanu brought that to life. Well-deserved. Yes, of course. And it's actually at that Hall H panel where the moderator asked Keanu to explain where the idea came about. And this is how he explained it. I had this idea for a character to punch people through their chests and rip their arms off. And then the idea of someone who is cursed with violence and has to figure out who they are how they are, how they came to be, and kind of reclaim their humanity. And then I was introduced to the wonderful folks at Boom in 2017. They said, do you have anything? So I pitched, well, I do have this one idea about someone punching people through their chest. And then being comic folk people, they went like, ooh, do you ever think about making a comic book? And I was like, no. And I kind of looked around the room and went like, there's a whole lot of comic books here. And then I was like, that sounds like a really fine idea. And they graciously agreed to like try and put that together. And it took a couple of years, but who'd have thunk we'd be in Hall H? And so, yeah, so that is the abbreviated history of how the comic book came to be. Here's the thing. I feel like the people on the other side of the people who were gifted with that moment of receiving that pitch were probably, first of all, glad they wore their big person diapers that day because they would have been soiling themselves to be in the presence of Keanu. And then also his cadence, if you've ever heard him speak or you've watched like not short interviews, but like longer sort of panel things, it's a weird mix of the Keanu you expect him to be, but then also like way more thoughtful. And I think kind of everybody caught up with that with the whole uh, like, what do you think happens after you die moment on, uh, I think it was Colbert that he had where it's like, oh, so he's been low key monk in training. And we just thought he spoke slowly because he was, you know, pretty young, famous person. But yeah, it's he's just very thoughtful. So I can imagine just being in that room, sitting on the edge of my seat in my soiled diapers and hearing that and getting so excited at the thought of collaborating with him on something like that, because he's very enthusiastic about the creation process and the people who do the creating. And I kind of wish I could have been, I wish they'd kind of filmed that moment of them in the room or after he left and they probably jumped around and squealed like small children. Yeah, no, it's kind of interesting that it was such a a broad idea that he brought to them and they found the right people to help him birth the idea into existence. And that was a uh, writer, Matt Kent, who of course has been writing for a number of years and has uh, some critically acclaimed comics out there. And then of course, Ron Garney is the artist. The man has worked on tons of mainstream properties. You know, he's did great work on Daredevil and uh, he's worked on Wolverine. And uh, I remember back in the day he did Mutant X. I remember that comic. So yeah, so it's quite the team that they put together. And apparently when Matt and Keanu started talking about it, Keanu was very possessive 
of the thought process of B, of Berserker in this, and kind of laid out almost like an ideology of how the character thinks and what the character does. And so Matt was able to take from that and help him create the story of what's happening with B. For people who haven't read it, uh, a man only known as Berserker, he's a half-mortal and half-god, cursed and compelled to violence, even at the sacrifice of his own sanity. And uh, for years, for centuries in fact, he has traveled the world and been in some very violent situations, uh, sometimes as a savior, sometimes as an unknowing oppressor. And now he works for the U.S. government on the exchange that he will do their most deadly missions in exchange for them figuring out what makes him tick and how he can become mortal so he no longer has to go on. Of course, there's also the idea that the government wants to find out exactly how he's immortal so they can build an army of undying soldiers. So the U.S. government is doing their U.S. government thing. We're not surprised, but Berserker... Less, less and less. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Berserker is just basically trying to find a way to end it all. And this is where we are. This is the situation we're in. And it's led to some pretty compelling tales about the idea of a man that's forever engulfed in violence. Can he ever find peace? And yeah, that was exactly the one sentence pitch when I first got a notification about this because Kickstarter's algorithm has pretty much pegged me. So back in 2020, when I first saw this in my inbox, it was an immortal warrior seeks the truth about his blood-soaked existence and how to end it. And then the imagery, which is... It's almost exactly the same image that's on the cover of at least the version of the first four issue collection that I got is, I mean, they're smart. You're not going to collaborate with Keanu and not use the fact that he's not, he's aging, but he's not aging normally. So, <laughs> <laughs> and is part of it that, yes, he has some, you know, Asian background. Is it that he's like a truly beautiful soul and less problematic people tend to age a little bit better, it seems. Is he part God? I don't know. I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying the imagery of like what kind of a mix of your favorite versions of like long haired Keanu, bearded Keanu, like big shoulders, tactical suit, but make it Ronin Keanu and like the John Wick intensity. They, they took all of your favorite Keanu looks. Oh, and sometimes they shave his head so when it grows goes back short he's giving speed mixed with a little bit of johnny utah so for the the look of the character and the look even from that first kickstarter which did a lot like amazingly well in the middle of year one of the panigan it was probably one of the the smartest marketing campaigns i've seen on kickstarter since the i would say the rob thomas veronica mars there you go yeah and so it caught wind a lot of people wanted to find out what this was about and finally when the the book came out we were treated to a double-sized first issue. And really, it's so interesting that it's like we get the story of what's happening in the present, which is him going out on these missions, sometimes getting ripped apart, sometimes easily dispatching the people that he's been sent to kill, and you know, going back and basically being picked away at and dissected and them trying to find exactly what it is that makes him tick. So you get that very much like human experiment type story that we see we've seen a lot of times with like the government operative that's like the perfect soldier but then we get it cross cut with these flashbacks to his origin and you know we've seen him as a boy how as how he came to be and how it's very ominous circumstances there's the possibility that he is a god 
because he was an answer to prayer for a weapon to save this tribe by the wife of the tribe leader. His she father be- was a lightning bolt, I guess. I guess, yeah. The idea is that she wakes up and she's pregnant and she births the child and he becomes very quickly, he grows very quickly and he becomes the protector of the lands. And at first, that's the job that he's living. He's living of just protecting them from the tribes that are attacking them because they're in a very prone position in the land where they can grow great crops but they're out there in the open and everybody can attack him. So at first he's the protector, but of course his father, who's the head of the tribe, is getting greedy and looks at all the riches around the area and goes, in his mind, well, this we can we can take out all, all these other tribes and have their lands too. And so he's always saying to his son, oh, these people are a threat. These people are a threat. But as B gets older, which is very quickly, he realizes, yeah, no, my dad is bull. He's shoveling the bullshit here because these people are not a threat. We wouldn't even know they were here. You told me we had to climb over these mountains to find them. They they would take them so long to get to us. They wouldn't be coming. And so it's a very, very rough, I'd say rough family issues, especially with somebody who's your dad who's technically not your dad. Well, his mother loves him like we would all want our mothers to love us. She does birth him regardless of his inception being questionable. Yeah, his mother uh, is his mother because she, yeah. Yeah, she does and birth she, him. And hey, if I was a woman who only had to have like a 60-day gestation period, <laughs> I'd love that kid too. It's like in and out, like good to go. His father, who he thinks is his father initially, but we know in terms of bio parents, his mother at least birthed him. And I think she always had more of a connection to him as like a human. Mm-hmm. His father definitely saw him more as a weapon and a gift to the child. So that whole meme of we'll adopt your baby or, you know, stepfathers are the, the fathers that step up. It, not him. No, he, not him. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was, yeah. Giving the answer to the question that they asked directly in the comic, was he born like this or was he made? Definitely, it was a a nurture situation for his affinity for violence, ultraviolence, if you will. Oh, but there's also some level of nature because, you know, there's periods where he's just standing there as a young boy and kills the person next to him because he has to just let it out. So I think there's a level of, I think it's in his nature, but the nurture made it 10 times bigger. Because like, because if you it's remember, it's a superpower child thing though. It's kind of his, like the boys. But he asks his mother. He asks yeah. his mother, like, "How did I come to be?" And she says, "I prayed for the gods to give us you, and you came here." And he goes, "Well, did you pray for a son or did you pray for a weapon?" And she lowers her head because earlier on we see she did pray for a weapon to save the tribe. So that right there kind of colors the fact that in his nature, he's. Not only just being used as a weapon, but it's almost inherently a weapon. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're correct. However, I think with a different stepdad. Oh, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, because that's the thing. Instead of someone saying to him, you need to control this rage inside you. You need to control this bloodlust inside you. He had somebody going, oh, it's okay. You killed that guy. He's not important. Go kill these people over here. (laughs) Yeah. Listener, definitely not advocating that old boys will be boys trope. So what if he tore the throat out of a wolf with his mouth? Not okay. Not okay. Like, don't like break your toys the first time you play with them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think if he'd been raised to be less murdery, he might have had a shot. Because he definitely is thoughtful and 
intelligent. And as he grows, one of the the common themes that we see later on as we hear more of his backstory is like a search for connection. But unfortunately, most of his connections throughout his years, he tends to spend more time on the warrior front and and less time on the um, emotional connection front. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see that it's like with this character, it's like he's of course eternally soulfully unhappy because he doesn't get these long connections with people and the people in his lifetime are like a blink of an eye. And when they are around, as you said, he's out there fighting, but it's kind of interesting to look at the character and go, okay, is this sad? Is the root of his sadness, his undying, the fact that he's undying, the fact that he can't die and all these people die around him, or is it that he's had to live so long with this bloodlust that he's never been taught how to fully control and he's had to create his own way of control for it on how to, regulate it like which one is the more piercing factor that's making him this sad soulful human being he loves his mother and yet when he first feeds from her he does bite down a little hard although if you didn't already know if you hadn't already breastfed a lot of information on social media about just like the grisly physical nature of it I mean, if you were breastfed and you have an okay relationship with your mother an extra gift this year for just no reason it's not a bad idea that being said, he loves hard and fights hard. He just he's just always doing the most. Yeah. And that he has to fight to die because he over the years he's been as he said, analyzed, poked, prodded, studied. Nobody wants to know how to help him. They just want to know how to either weaponize or make more of him. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a hard thing to live with, you know, that nobody ever nobody wants to know the real B. They just want to know what makes him tick. They don't want to know it's like, is he you know, is he a morning person? What are his hobbies? Does he like to crochet? You know? None of that. It's all just like, hey, so you're undying and stuff. How do we do that? How do we make more of that? Give me some of that. Yeah, no, it's a rough life B and B. Yeah, he's telling his story and they're like, Yeah, we've heard it before. But yes, please tell me what you remember this time. <laughs> The thing that I find really interesting is that uh, Matt Kent and Keanu have sat down and mapped out a timeline of B's life through the centuries. So just in case they need to reference a certain era, they know exactly where he was during that era. So that to me is like, wow, like apparently they've put in so much research, historical research to find ways to drop B into them. Now, originally Matt, when he was approaching it, was thinking it was going to be like a Forrest Gump thing where it's like, oh, we just put him in different parts of history. And it's like, oh, it was really this guy, you know? And and Keanu, instead of chocolates or ping pong, it's murder. Yeah. And Keanu was like, no, no, we can't do that. It has to be that he goes through these times. And how do the times affect him? It has to be a much more internal story. So that changed the way they put the timeline together. So it's not like he's popping up in every famous uh, moment throughout history. He's where he's supposed to be during that time. And I thought that was such an interesting way to take on it. Cause yes, with a character that is immortal, it is the usual trope to have it that said character got to experience some of the biggest moments in history. Yeah. You'd see him catching a stray in Dealey Plaza for sure. If they went sort of the cheat rep. Yeah, and again, like, that speaks to the intelligence of Keanu. It's, it's not about the history. It's about him and his growth. Yeah, apparently Ron Garney, when he was thinking about the character, 
he decided he wanted to draw a cover, which I think they're releasing as like a uh, a variant cover of uh, B with the Shroud of Turin. That it actually wasn't Jesus's face; it was B's face. But just history is hidden the fact that that was actually B's face on the Shroud of Turin and not Jesus. Oh, they had some beautiful variants for this. Like they did shiny cover stuff. Like they did just different looks so like the straight collection on the first four and the individual issues you could get like you know what you imagine a comic book that we described would look like but then they also had like some super pretty shiny ones like i was a child in the beguiling as i stood there holding them up to the light and tilting (laughs) this way and that and yeah you can feel the love in the story and Unlike a lot of, and obviously we can guess this from anything that involved Keanu, there's a a conciseness in the language. Uh, We've talked a lot about sort of famous creator properties and how they tend to be sometimes too wordy, especially people come from the film industry. This is very sparse Mm. in terms of like the dialogue. A lot of the the viscera is telling a lot of the story. And that makes sense because, okay, so Matt Kent is a... He usually is a let the picture tell the story type writer. And Keanu, in his films, he's also that way. He's very much like his characters usually only say what they need to say. Unless it's like, you know, you know like Bill and Ted's <laughs> Face the Music. That character is already pre-established as a big talker. So, you know, but in recent years, he's gravitated towards characters that only speak when they need to speak. So... To have the two of them come together, it actually seemed like a perfect pairing, those two writers. Then they've been letting Ron Garney just create, take their plots and just beautiful viscera everywhere. <laughs> sort of the series is slated to go to the 12th issue. Nine issues are available at the time of this recording. Uh, and the 10th issue is out soon, plus the second volume of the trade, second trade, uh, is coming out. But, like... They've kind of been hard at work at building a franchise universe for this. They already have a feature film in the works. They have a scriptwriter who's working, screenwriter who's working on the, the script. Netflix has already committed to a two-season anime on the character. And they've been talking about doing a series of like one-shots and specials where they can let other writers and artists play within the timeline with B doing different things with them, of course, overseeing it and approving it, but they want to bring in other creators to, uh, to have fun with it. And they've got coming out in 2023, a novelization of the story, which they didn't, they haven't revealed as of the time that we're recording this, they haven't revealed who the novelist is, but apparently Keanu said, okay, if we do this, it would be awesome if we get this guy, but we'll never get him. And one phone call and they got him. Everything's coming up Keanu. He apparently, he, like, he seems very much like the 12-year-old boy in him is just having so much fun. Because apparently when he still lived in Toronto at the age of 12, he would, like, scour shops for comics and everything like that. So it's kind of like he's kind of just giving that 12-year-old boy all the things he's ever wanted. Well, that 12-year-old boy certainly had some bloodlust then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you got to think about it. Growing up on early 80s comics, there was a lot of blood and killing in those. Definitely. For the look and feel, they tend to, especially for kind of the prior, before the modern age stuff, the the line work 
and sort of just the focus on a lot of half clad torsos and striated muscles of, you know, war beasts. It's notes of Frank Miller, if anything, sort of over exaggerated musculature. And then there's, there's a few dismemberment things like those. They're grisly, but because it's not super delicate line work, it's more splooshy and hunks of stuff. It's not too bad. It's not super photorealistic on the very grisly things. So if, if you're a bit squeamish, I think you could still get through it. There's, there's a few face shots where he's Jonah Hex without the Instagram filter, like. <laughs> But overall, I love the look of it, and it's always about his expression, and when his eyes go berserker blue, those really tend to pop, mm. and the movement of be-through action scenes. But the you get more, not a lot, but more dialogue when he's one-on-one with people. And right. Yeah. So that's where you tend to get a little bit more of like the exposition stuff, or when he's telling bits of his backstories or moving back and forth. But there is a lot of just like, just beautiful ultraviolence. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It, actually, the the way that Garney has laid out the artwork, it kind of reminds me, and also even the way they're telling the story, it kind of reminds me of a Greg Rucka Punisher run from about 10 years ago, where the, uh, the idea is that they're presenting this man as not a man, but a force of nature. And so the character doesn't so much walk through a scene is almost like just glide through it in the sense it's like we see these moments of violence and it's like they're passing moments for him he is just moving through it without even thought like there's that one part of the near the beginning where they're like in that plane it's like we're going to tell you to go and he jumps before they even tell him he goes because it's just sort of like gotta move gotta move and that kind of like kinetic energy is throughout all of these as you put it beautifully violent scenes there's like a kind of energy and those times when he is talking in the one-on-one and some of the flashback stuff, it's kind of like almost like the reader is getting a break because the intensity is so intense in the action scenes. I feel like it's a really leveled, like it's, it's very even on how much you need to keep the reader engaged, but also give the reader a break at the same time. Be a great co- character to cosplay too. You've got so many options. You've got the modern day look, You've got face half melted, modern or past day look. You've got, you know, pick soldier from any point in time look. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it, I, I do and I don't know if I really want live action of this. I'm excited about the idea of Netflix collaborating with them on the anime because I love the Witcher kind of side stories that they've done mm. on Netflix, the animated stuff. Yeah. I'm almost more looking forward to an anime in this world than a live action mm. situation. And, or if they did live action, I'd almost rather they wait a while until Keanu's too old to be young him. Okay. And, but somehow he's worked into the story. If you think about it, this whole immortal character, how do we know that Keanu's not pulling that from his own personal life? You know, Maybe, maybe this is his actual secret. Yeah. Backstory. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We've all watched the training videos for uh, John Wick. Yeah. So, you know, it's an exciting ride. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, as I said, there are nine issues available right now. Tenth issue is coming out in September. The second volume of trade is coming out then. 
and uh, the entire series, 12-issue series, will be wrapped up in 2023, and a novelization will come out, and then there'll be an anime, and then a feature film. Like, it's amazing how much stuff has come out of this one idea of, like, I had a guy who can punch people through their chest. Like, that was... And, and can't die, but would surely love to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's it's crazy. It is crazy. It all but it all just came from him going. That'd be cool if somebody could punch people through their chests and rip their arms off. When you were reading this, did you hear his voice sometimes? Like when I was reading, there was the line about I remember when I was born. Like I heard that in Keanu voice. Like I heard it in like the a mix of the whoa and the yeah I guess I'm back. Like that kind of tone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could, yeah, yeah. I, I probably heard a little bit of that. The final issue is going to be another double-sized issue, and Keanu's only comments about that were, Ron's been in a cave for a year and a half. <laughs> so say we all. I was sort of like, <laughs> I was like, did that, like, to me, I'm just sort of like, does he speaking metaphorically that, like, Ron was in his basement drawing the time, or did Ron actually go to a cave to create the final issue? <laughs> I'm good either way, honestly. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Patula, I want to thank you for introducing me to Berserker. Oh, I mean, I we just have to thank Keanu for continuing to create and giving us the gift of himself and his go. collaborators for somehow amalgamating the best of all of his characters ever, diluting it and filtering it through the cheesecloth soaked with blood. There you go. There you go. And yeah, Keanu pointed it out at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, but it is pretty true. Boom kind of assembled the best team for him. Like, not only people who are skilled at what they do, but kind of were the right people to get Keanu. You know what I mean? They, like, automatically kind of pick up what he's putting down. And so the result is a very, very fluid comic that's easy to read and is extremely engaging and entertaining. And yeah, it does, uh, does get pretty, pretty violent. So check it out. Petula, we've come to the end of another episode. Where can people find you? At inachif.com, on Twitter at obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-A-T, and here with you. And of course, you can find everything I do over at geekhardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekhard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Is Your Bloodbath, where we post the new episode every week. But the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, be it the iTunes, the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you catch your pods. While you're there, leave a five-star rating and review because it helps people find out about us and all that analytic stuff which unfortunately rules the podcast world and the world at large. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petula Neal. Have yourself a good.